Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe, and I'll be your tour guide, recreating someone's last days in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the Last Trip Podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victim today is 21-year-old Britt Lapthorne, a backpacker from Australia who is traveling through Croatia in September of 2008. She was last seen partying at a Croatian nightclub in Dubrovnik before being found nearly three weeks later in the Adriatic Sea. Her family believes it was murder, and Croatian authorities labeled her death due to misadventure. And what does that mean? Well, technically, an unfortunate incident or mishap. It's rooted in the French word mesaventure, which translates to turns out badly. And while it did turn out badly, that's not an explanation for a death certificate. Over the last few years, Croatia has become a tourist hotspot with over 15 million people visiting the country in 2022. The majority of travelers were German, but also a lot of Austrians, Slovenians, and Poles. In this episode, we'll focus on the city of Dubrovnik, where Brit was last seen, located on the Adriatic Sea in the southern part of Croatia. It's often called the Pearl of the Adriatic because of its stunning natural beauty. It feels literally like you've stepped back in time. The main part of Dubrovnik is Old Town, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's the part of town that's surrounded by medieval walls with narrow cobblestone streets, Baroque buildings, and plenty of historic landmarks. Inside Old Town, the main street is called Stratton, and it's your typical tourist area with shops and restaurants. Beyond that, there are plenty of old churches and a couple of palaces, lots of museums, historical buildings, and even a fortress you can check out while you're there. In recent years, the city gained international fame as one of the main filming locations for the TV show Game of Thrones. And if you've seen the show, they turned it into King's Landing. Because of that attention, Dubrovnik has become pretty expensive. But there's still plenty of ways to enjoy the area on a backpacker's budget. First, you should buy a Dubrovnik Pass. You can get one online or at the main tourist office at Pilegate outside of Old Town. For 35 euros, you can get a seven-day pass, and they also have three days and one-day passes. With the pass, you can ride the city bus for free, and you can get into pretty much every museum and attraction in town for free. It's well worth the money. Also, the hostels in town are nice and a great option. Or for cheaper accommodations, try staying outside of the city walls in the Gruz, Lepad, or Zupa areas. Eating at restaurants can get pricey, so if you've opted for a hostel or Airbnb, head to the market, grab some fresh food, and cook your own meals because you'll save a fortune. Croatian history is extensive. Dubrovnik has been around since the ancient times of the Greeks and Romans, and in the 7th century, Slavic tribes settled in the region. From 1358 to 1808, the city was known as Ragusa. It had wealth and influence because of the maritime trade, it was diplomatic, and also had a strong navy. In 1667, the Great Earthquake hit. The magnitude was estimated somewhere between 6.5 and 7.3. And if that's not bad enough, it also triggered a tsunami. As you can imagine, it was complete devastation throughout the entire town, and a huge number of lives were lost. 
1808, Napoleon Bonaparte took over the Republic of Ragusa, and then in 1815, it was placed under Austrian rule. World War I had a huge impact on Dubrovnik with the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1918. Croatia was later renamed the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, and Dubrovnik was established, becoming part of the newly formed kingdom. World War II was a challenging time for the city with occupation, resistance, liberation, and the establishment of a new political order. The post-war era marked the beginning of Yugoslavia, which was a socialist federation that would last until the early 1990s. On June 25, 1991, Croatia declared independence, which led to the Croatian War of Independence from 1991 to 1995. There was a lot of destruction and suffering from the war, but despite that, tourism rebounded in the late 1990s. Croatia worked hard to promote the country as a safe and attractive destination for travelers, and it paid off when they had a huge tourism boom in the 2000s. A few cool things to see and do in Dubrovnik include walking along the famous city walls, getting a private yacht and touring the waters and islands, exploring the old buildings, or hiking around the city. One popular hike is Surd Hill, just north of Old Town. There's a well-marked trail that zigzags up the hill and usually takes about 30 to 45 minutes. It's a moderately challenging hike, but if you don't want the exercise, there's also a cable car that will take you up to the top. It's the perfect spot to view the sunset, and at the summit, there's a cafe and restaurant. Also in Old Town is the Little Brothers Pharmacy, which was established in 1317, making it one of the oldest in Europe. It's located right on the main street of Stratton and is still in operation. It's next to the Franciscan Monastery, also founded in 1317. You guys know I'm a big fan of old churches, and this one is absolutely beautiful with art, paintings, sculptures, all from different historical periods. While you're there, on the left side of the monastery next to the entrance and the stairway that leads to the city walls, Look close and you'll see a little gargoyle head sticking out of the stone wall. It's about a half a meter above ground and sticks out about 15 centimeters. It was once the end of a pipe that drained rainwater from the top of the building and now when it's raining the water rushes from its mouth. But the reason you need to find it is because legend has it that if you stand on the head, keep your balance, and take off your shirt while facing the wall, luck and love will follow you. With the way my dating life is going, I'll definitely give it a try while I'm there. Let's get to know Britt Lapthorne. In 1987, Britt was born in Melbourne, Australia to parents Dale and Elkie and older brother Darren. She was well-loved and quickly became the boss of the household. Her family traveled frequently and when Britt was 8 years old, they lived in China for 3 years. By the time she was 10, she learned to barter with the market vendors in Beijing and developed her love of shopping. Britt was a total character who loved making people laugh. She was vivacious and vibrant, stubborn and intense, generous and warm. She lived with her parents in Eden Park, about 45 kilometers north of Melbourne, and loved it. She especially loved family gatherings, with Christmas being her favorite holiday. Britt was always happy and smiling. She had a love for life. She was determined and focused to make all her dreams into a reality. And family was everything with Britt. She was like two peas in a pod with her dad, and he always had a hard time saying no to his princess. Her and her brother Darren had a deep bond, even attending the same university. She was getting an international business degree at RMIT, and she loved learning. 
Her textbook pages were always bent and the covers were well-worn. During school, she decided to take a gap year to travel. This journey was more than just partying for Brit. Her dad said she is of German extraction, her mom Elke. Brit wanted to see Auschwitz. I think that showed a great strength of character. She wanted to understand suffering, to see and really get a feeling for the places she was going. In Bosnia, she said she wanted to understand what had happened there. Her friend, Lauren McKenzie, told the Sunday Herald Sun that Britt was taking time off to kind of explore the world a little bit more and maybe look for some answers and some career choices. She told her friends that one day she might want to open a spa business with them, but otherwise hadn't decided what she wanted to do after graduation. Before Britt left on her trip, she had lots of friends who she kept in constant contact with on Facebook, calling it her travel log. She kept everyone up to date with her travel plans and filled it with photos of her smiling and the amazing places she visited. Her boyfriend, Simon Imberger, lovingly nicknamed her Trip Thorn because of her free spirit and love of traveling. He said Britt was conservative when it came to drinking and partying. She was more interested in exploring the world, seeing new places, adventure, and experiencing life. Her parents gave her the backpack of her dreams as an early birthday present. It was the only thing she asked for and really wanted that year. She left for a four-month solo backpacking trip in late June of 2008 with plans to return to Australia on October 15th. Departing Melbourne for Europe, she arrived first in Dortmund, Germany, where her brother was living at the time. After becoming the 2007 Australian road cycling champion, he went on to compete in Europe with his family visiting frequently to cheer him on. In early July, Brit's parents flew in and they all met in Paris to celebrate her 21st birthday and then spent a few days back in Germany with the family. When they flew home, Brit set off on her own to see the rest of Europe with $5,000 in her pocket, a return flight home, and a sense of adventure. Hi, this is Randy Sharman, host and producer of the Informed Traveler podcast. It's a weekly travel podcast dedicated to bringing you the latest travel news and information. And each week we provide insight traveling to interesting destinations, plus useful travel tips to help you along the way. So join us each week for the Informed Traveler podcast to help you plan your next vacation. You can hear a new episode each week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Or check out our website, theinformedtraveler.org. Remember, travel safe and be an informed traveler. Britt was a fast-paced traveler who made a lot of friends along the way. By August, she was in Poland, then the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Austria. She always updated her Facebook with her travels, adding photos of herself, enjoying life with new friends, and standing in front of iconic landmarks. On September 4th, Britt updated her followers that she was in Vienna, and the next day, she traveled 300 kilometers south to spend the day swimming and kayaking in the bright blue waters of Lake Bled across the border in Slovenia. At 8.30 that night, she wrote, Brit is in the best place she's seen in a while. The next day, September 6th, was spent rafting before boarding a bus to Ljubljana, another 80 kilometers south. On September 9th, she was in Zagreb, Croatia, and on the 11th, made her way to Sarajevo, Bosnia. But something happened on the train ride to Bosnia that scared her, and she sent a Facebook message to her boyfriend Simon saying, Hey, just arrived in Sarajevo. So tired. Took so long to get here on a dodgy, scary train. But it was really okay. Just glad I made it. 
In Sarajevo, she went to a birthday party and took touristy photos throughout the city. She climbed a mountain waterfall, had some fun nights out with friends, met new people, and three days later arrived in Mostar, the biggest city in Herzegovina. She sent a message to her university friend, Kate Houlihan, describing Mostar as one of the best places she had been. In Mostar, she met Brad Anderson from Melbourne, who warned her about the bad experiences he and others had on the Croatian coast. Brad said, We found the locals to be pretty inhospitable, and we gave her a bit of a heads up. We know of one person who woke up in a stranger's car on a Croatian island and didn't know where she was or how she'd gotten there. Britt told him she was traveling solo and had a scary train ride in the Balkans where she didn't feel safe because people kept coming through her compartment. But Brad thought she was fairly wary and knew what to look out for and that she was definitely switched on. On September 15th, Britt took a day trip to Croatia's Dalmatian coast, posting on Facebook that she had a great day getting soaked in the rain, jumping off cliffs, and seeing waterfalls. She also wrote she could happily spend a few weeks in Mostar, but southern Italy was beckoning her. A friend replied that the best way to the Adriatic coast of Italy was through the town of Split, to which Britt replied she was headed to Dubrovnik since it was on the way. That reply was sent at 9 a.m. on September 16th. Britt arrived in Dubrovnik that evening around 6 p.m. and met up with some other backpackers at the Dubrovnik Backpacker Club Hostel. They went to dinner together at a seafood restaurant and then hit the clubs. On September 17th, she spent the day exploring the town and hanging out at a cafe, making her last ever Facebook post at 7.06 p.m., simply saying, Britt is in Dubrovnik, Croatia. She was in a group of about eight friends staying at the same hostel, and that night they cooked dinner together and watched some DVDs in the common room. The hostel owner's son, Ivica Perkovic, complained to his mom that the group was too loud and rowdy, so she suggested they go to the clubs in town rather than stay there. Around midnight, the group hopped on a bus and headed to the Latino Club Fuego, just outside the pile gate, arriving at 12.38 a.m. Several backpackers in the group were people she had traveled with earlier in her trip, and some were people she met at the hostel. Club Fuego is a well-known club in Dubrovnik that was opened in 2001 and is actually still operating today. During the summer, it's open nightly and Thursday through Saturdays in the off-season from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Fuego has five bars on two separate floors and is known for throwing the wildest parties with the best performers and DJs. Even famous celebrities like Tara Reid, Owen Wilson, and Nick Nolte have been there. It's said that all paths will lead you to Fuego because it's the number one place for entertainment in the city. Once the group got into the club, they split up. They were drinking, dancing, and meeting new people. Dominic Dabrowiecki, a friend she traveled with earlier on her trip, said he only saw Brit sporadically throughout the night, usually on the dance floor when she occasionally passed by him and said hi. He didn't see her dancing with anyone in particular, and most of the people she was talking to were people from the hostel. He could tell she was drunk, but she looked happy. Another backpacker said she wasn't what he would call dangerously drunk, and at about 1 a.m., he wasn't worried about her. At 2 a.m., several friends saw Britt drop a glass on the dance floor, totally shattering it. The club employees kicked her out, she left, but came back into the club about 10 minutes later. Her friends figured they either let her back in or she snuck back in. After that incident, she ran into another friend who said she asked him where the Croatians were and something else he couldn't hear. It was at this point he noticed she was slurring her words. As the group slowly made their way back to the hostel, a few of them asked Britt if she wanted to share a cab, 
but she wasn't ready to leave yet, so they left without her. Portuguese traveler Mariana Moreira told the Herald Sun she was going to ask Britt if she wanted to share a taxi back to the hostel, but when she lost sight of her at the club, she thought maybe she left with a boy, saying Britt was drunk and with a big group of mostly tall men that might have either been backpackers or locals. A bouncer from Club Fuego said he saw Britt leaving with five women and two men. The group had two cars between them and were discussing who would go in each car. The bouncer could tell none of the girls wanted to go home with the two men, and he assumed Britt was the one that had to go with the guys. But there's no way of knowing whether it was Britt because he never checked up on the situation. Her friend, Kate Houlihan, said Britt was cautious and there was no way she would have gotten into a car with anyone, especially strangers, saying even when she does drink, she's always in control. She's not that type of person. She's got a boyfriend. I find it very unconvincing that she would have gotten into a car with somebody she didn't know. If that's the case, there must have been some pressure. However, Britt ended up leaving the club. Her friends lost sight of her at around 3.30 a.m. on September 18th. And that was the last time she was ever seen alive. The next morning, one of the girls sharing a dorm room in the hostel noticed Britt never made it back, but didn't sound the alarm. She figured it was just a crazy night and no one else mentioned anything out of the ordinary. The next day, when the group was talking and sharing stories, they realized no one had seen Britt since 3.30 a.m. the night before. They got worried and tried calling her phone, but eventually it just stopped ringing. When her dorm mates arrived back in the evening of September 19th, Britt's backpack had been moved, so they thought she came back and then left again only to find out later her things were moved when the room was cleaned. The kids went to the hostel owner, Milka Perkovic, and let her know Britt never came back from the club and was missing. But Milka didn't go to the authorities because when she told her son, Evitza, he dismissed her concerns, saying Britt was having fun and was probably off somewhere with a boy and would be back because all her things were still at the hostel. Her friends were still worried, so they looked through her backpack to see if they could find her family's information to contact them, but didn't find anything. What I find very interesting was that at some point, her cell phone was found in her room, so the general consensus was that she left it behind when they went to the club. But that may not be what happened at all, and we'll get to that in a minute. The backpackers were still really worried, so they called the Australian embassy in Croatia and explained the situation. From there, the embassy called the Dubrovnik police and alerted them that Britt was missing. But the police decided not to look for her right away because she was a young tourist, so they figured she was just out on a bender partying and would turn up sooner or later. On September 21st, Britt's boyfriend Simon had not heard from Britt for 10 days. He sent her a message saying, Hey B, hope Dubtown's still rockin' and the bugs aren't as big. Keep laughing, Chipthorn. On September 22nd, Britt's mom was also getting concerned, writing on her Facebook page, Hi Britt, missing your travel log. Also on the 22nd, her friend Tara Reynolds noticed her silence and checked in on Facebook. So now it's been four days and no one has seen Britt. You guys know the first few days are crucial to any investigation, especially a missing persons case. September 24th, six days after she was last seen, her family was finally notified. Her boyfriend, Simon, quickly alerted her Facebook followers, writing, Please contact Elkie Lapthorne or Simon Inberger if anyone has heard from Britt Lapthorne. Very urgent. Her brother, Darren, immediately left Germany to find his sister, with his father and her boyfriend arriving soon after. 
This is when the Dubrovnik police finally began their investigation. They went to the hostel to look through Brit's things for clues, and this is where it gets interesting. They found her phone in her room, and it showed a call going out at 2.57 a.m. on the night she went missing. Now remember, she was placed in the nightclub until 3.30 and never made it back to the hostel. Everyone thought she left her phone behind, so how was there an outgoing call at 2.57? And that call was made to Ivica Perkovic, the son of the hostel owner. Even though the number was Ivica's cell phone, the Perkovic family insisted it was the hostel's general number. They said he missed the call because he was asleep with the ringer off. Now, if she made that call, how did her phone end up back in the room without her? And if someone else made the call, why? And did Ivica really have the phone off? Wouldn't he notice a missed call from Britt later on and bring it up to authorities? Even more suspicious, Ivica left the country in the days after Britt disappeared on what he said was a work-related trip. Police asked him to return to Dubrovnik, which he did. They questioned him for 36 hours and then said he was no longer a suspect and let him go. In the questioning, he said he only met Britt briefly the night they went to the club and had no idea why she would have called him. After he was released, he spoke to various media outlets that swarmed the city. He said Britt was a very promiscuous girl and was continually binge drinking. That he spoke to the staff at other hostels and they described her as kind and polite but with a reckless side. He also said her friends didn't care that she disappeared from the club because they thought she was the type of person to go home with guys after meeting them. Classic victim shaming 101. If he only spoke to her once, how would he know anything about her? And why would he take it upon himself to supposedly talk to other hostels about her? Guys, that is so suspicious. Britt's friends and family completely denied Britt was promiscuous or reckless, including that she was very much in love with her boyfriend back home. They also said Britt would never go out without her phone. To add to the suspicion, while searching for Britt, her father received an anonymous call from a local saying that Milka Perkovic had gone to the post office trying to mail an Australian passport, but left after being told she wasn't allowed to put a passport through the mail. But the police couldn't verify the call. In the days surrounding Britt's disappearance, a warning was issued to backpackers through an online forum about men in a blue van stalking women in town. It said a blue van stops, two police get out, quickly show their ID, and then try to force the women into the van. Now, keep that warning in mind because we'll come back to it. By the beginning of October, with still no word on what happened to Britt, her family spoke up about their problems with the police. They found the police uncooperative, thought they weren't doing enough, and felt they were lying about things. On October 6th, at 11 a.m., a local fisherman came across human remains floating in the Bay of Bonanovo. The Bay of Bonanovo is situated to the west of Old Town, close to Fuego, and it's easily accessible from the city center. It's a popular beach with tourists and locals boating, fishing, and swimming there throughout the year. The fisherman contacted the water police who recovered the body. The Labthorns heard about the discovery through the media and thought it could be Brit. But the Dubrovnik Deputy District Commander Ivan Kukrika said at a press conference, we can almost for sure tell that the body is not Brit's body because it was so badly decomposed. Rather, he thought the remains were more likely to belong to an illegal immigrant from Albania or Montenegro that had been dumped over the side of a boat some time ago. An autopsy was performed on the body, and using DNA and the dental records Brit's mom sent to the Croatian police, they confirmed it was Brit on October 10th. 
The deputy chief of police said DNA analysis has been completed in capital Zagreb. According to the analysis, the body found in the sea on October 6th belongs to the missing Australian Britt Lapthorne. I have to admit that I had, based on the state the body was in, really thought it was not Brit and that this case would result in a happy ending. When her parents saw the autopsy report, they said it looked childish and shed no light on how she died. A grade 12 student could do a better job than this. Guys, the report was only two pages long. It described the damage to the body but made no attempt to explain what happened to her or how she died. They could not tell where or how her body went in or if she was alive or dead when she entered the water. Her body was undressed with her shirt floating a short distance away, but the rest of her clothing, her purse, and her camera were never recovered. She was also missing her molar teeth, several limbs, her lungs, and most of her organs. Hours later, her father said, Assuming it is a crime and everything is pointing to a crime, it is an absolutely heinous crime of the worst order. It is just beyond conception for such a beautiful girl. I don't mean beautiful in appearance. She was beautiful in her ways, always smiling, always happy, just having fun, and an intelligent, smart girl. Why would somebody do this to such a beautiful girl? For me, Elkie, and Darren, it's just devastating. We think about all the things we planned to do together. All the things we planned have no meaning anymore. Absolutely no meaning. But local authorities didn't agree with the Lapthorns, saying there was no sign of foul play that she'd either jumped purposefully, fallen an accident, or died while swimming. In a bizarre twist, the judge who signed off on Britt's autopsy report went swimming in the same bay her body was found in right after police released the results. The media had gone to his house for a comment, which, interestingly, was almost right next door to Club Fuego, and a young woman about Brit's age answered the door and told them the judge had gone there for a few laps. While there's nothing criminal about that, it's a rather odd choice of places to swim given the timing and the circumstances. At dawn on October 17th, Dale, Darren, and Simon sailed out to the bay and laid a wreath, scattering white rose petals in the water, saying goodbye to their beloved daughter, sister, and girlfriend. A candlelight vigil was held on the evening of October 18th in Australia. Britt's family brought her home on October 19th to perform a second autopsy by the Victorian coroner. That night, they held a formal memorial service, and hundreds of people showed up to pay their respects and tell their favorite stories about Brit. After the ceremony, 21 purple balloons were released into the sky. Unfortunately, the second autopsy didn't tell them much more because of the level of decomposition, but their results suggested she did not fall or jump from the cliffs. They still couldn't give a time or cause of death and ruled it as unknown. Britt's family was not happy with how the investigation was going and the international media agreed. So on October 29, 2008, the police chief was fired. The lack of speed in Britt's investigation was highlighted as a reason why. In November of 2008, the Lapthorns went to the media and told them they believed Britt's body had been weighted down and strategically placed in the water because there was no other explanation as to why her body was so decomposed. She was only missing for 18 days, but her body had the decomposition of someone floating in the water for 12 months. In late December, the Lapthorne family finally got access to the CCTV footage and cameras from the club. But there was a problem. Croatian police claimed that security footage inside Club Fuego was wiped by an alleged electrical blackout. The club said that while some of the cameras had lost power randomly during that period of weeks, 
There were no power problems on the night of September 16th, 17th, or 18th, and they had turned all their footage over to the police. Someone was lying, and people were starting to think there was a police cover-up. And of the four cameras that were outside the club, only one faced the entrance, and it was dysfunctional. What the camera was able to catch was a blue van pulling up to the club at 4.46 a.m. and someone getting in. It just wasn't able to pick up the license plate or anything more than silhouettes. This brings us back to the warning in the online forum about unknown men trying to lure travelers into a blue van. How many blue vans are there in this city? In February of 2009, an expose was done by an Australian current affairs program called Sunday Night, and they found a lot of new information. They interviewed other women who claimed to have been almost abducted from the exact same area, and all the women had eerily similar stories. They claimed that a group of men with police badges tried to force them into this blue van. And in one instance, when the woman screamed, the men actually came back and said they were police officers and pretended to be different men. Most damning was that all the victims were young, female, blonde, slim, and foreign, just like Brit. One of the attempted abductions happened a year before Brit went missing, another happened five days before she went missing, and another happened 10 days after Brit was missing. And these were just some of the women that came forward. The show also claimed that the police had tampered with the footage, removing certain frames that would have proven it was Brit getting into the blue van. The show hired a sketch artist, and all three women they interviewed had similar drawings of their attackers. Now, with that information, Croatia held a press conference and released the sketches of the two men the women said were possible kidnappers. And guess what? The sketches matched two Dubrovnik officers. The officers were even on patrol together in Dubrovnik at all the times in question, in civilian clothing, carrying out routine duties called on-street narcotics reduction. In that same press conference, the Dubrovnik police spokesman said they were very good quality policemen who did not harass or rob foreign tourists, and from there was basically shoved under the rug. In early 2010, two Australian police officers were sent to Croatia to review the local police investigation especially because of all these rumors of a cover-up. But they were only in the country for about 10 days, so the family didn't think they could have possibly spent enough time to get an accurate account of what was going on. They wouldn't have even had enough time to watch all the CCTV footage available, much less go through all the interviews that had been conducted. This review of the Croatian investigation found that the local police had been professional and determined in their efforts to find out what happened to Brit, but there were several problems with the investigation early on. They also determined it was unlikely Britt took her own life or went swimming on the night in question. So the only thing that really came out of the investigation by Australian officers was they convinced Croatian authorities to admit her death was unlikely a suicide. After the review, Britt's family maintained she had been murdered. Her mom said, Whoever did this to our daughter, they have to live with their guilt. I hope it tortures them like we're tortured every day. But in the end, nothing we do will bring our daughter back to us. Our feeling is we've just had to learn to live with it. Her dad said, Today's findings are not so much a closure of the case, but a suspension of the case, and we accept that. At the end of the day, it is a Croatian criminal investigation, and as the coroner had pointed out today, it is still an ongoing criminal investigation. As to whether it will ever progress or if we will ever find out what actually happened to Brit, I'm not sure. Brit's brother Darren followed up with, 
Although we may never really find out what happened to Brit, I know I still live in the hope that one day, as long as I live, I'll find out an answer. Unfortunately, they still don't have an answer. By April of 2015, the Australian state coroner officially closed the inquest into Brit's death. Neither the Australian nor Croatian police had been able to uncover evidence to definitively say whether she was murdered. Brit's parents vowed to return to Croatia each year and never give up the fight to find their daughter's killer. Her father hopes that part of his daughter's legacy was that backpackers were now more careful when traveling overseas. A few years after her death, he traveled Brit's trail throughout Europe, going everywhere she went, seeing everything she saw. He said, It was an amazing experience. So many people were aware of the story and the good part about it, and the legacy was that their parents had warned them to be careful. What do you guys think happened to Britt Lapthorne? Because I think it was murder. And while I have a couple suspects in mind, it's important to note that there have never been any official suspects. So we'll talk about a couple of the unofficial ones. First up is the manager of the hostel, Ivica Perkovic. There is no explanation for the phone call that was placed to him from Britt's phone at 3 a.m. on the night she went missing. How did she call him if she didn't have her phone? And if she did have her phone, how did it end up in the hostel, but she didn't? If someone else that night had used her phone from the hostel, they would have spoken up. And Evita left town right after Britt vanished, and then he tried to discredit her after he was questioned, and then there was the anonymous call about his mom trying to mail the Australian passport. So how could he have done it? Well, Evita and Britt met at the hostel, talked briefly the day before, and he was the manager at the hostel, so some type of trust would have been formed. Maybe Britt did have her phone with her the night she went out. Around 3 a.m., she had some kind of a problem or needed help getting back to the hostel, so she called Evita. He picked her up, killed her, but she left her phone behind. So he put it back in her room after he disposed of her body. It's entirely possible he could have done it. But what I do find interesting is that this hostel is still around and run by the same family, and there's literally not a single bad review anywhere online. Honestly, it looks like a hostel I'd stay at. It's family-run, a 10-15 to minute bus ride to Old Town, near cafes, bars, and a promenade that leads to the beach. And on several sites, it was voted Best Hostel for Women and Best Hostel for Solo Travelers. On TripAdvisor, they had 117 reviews with a rating of 4.5, with their lowest rating being 3 stars. And almost every single review said how much they loved the family and how nice the manager was. On Google reviews, I found a 1 and 2 star review, both left by women, but neither left an explanation for the low review. Finally, one review from August of 2015 said, The boys of the family treated the communal areas like the TV room as their own. Several times when guests were watching something, they came in and changed the channel to what they wanted to watch. They didn't care that it was disrespectful for the guests. It was lovely to be invited to be part of the family, and they were very kind, but it was sometimes a bit full-on, as I just wanted to relax. So I could read into that review that maybe the kids felt a little bit entitled, but it's not really a huge red flag. With that many great reviews, I find it harder to believe that Ivica was involved in Britt's disappearance or murder. But I'd really like an explanation for how her phone was used that night. Next up, the cops. A blue van pulled up to the club that night and someone got in. Is that just a coincidence? Also, were the cops just bad at their jobs or was there a cover-up? 
And if there was some type of a cover-up, were they covering up a crime or just trying to keep their town's reputation of being safe? The video footage was questionable. Other girls had been assaulted at the time surrounding Britt's murder, and the sketch of the suspects turned out to be two policemen. The judge lived right by Club Fuego. He knew the area where her body was found well enough to go swimming there right after. Maybe there are several people in power involved, some type of cop gang thing. The only problem I have with this theory is that usually with more people involved in a crime, someone will eventually tell the truth and everything will come out. Hopefully, if we wait just a bit longer, that'll happen. I think there's quite a few reasons to suspect it was a cover-up and that the police do know more than they let on. Also, someone from Club Fuego could have been involved. She was kicked out for dropping the glass, but then let back in. Maybe someone working there realized how drunk she was and wanted her to stick around for a more sinister reason. Maybe the bouncer never saw her leaving, but gave the story as a way to lead people in another direction. Britt's disappearance and murder had a negative effect on the club for a short time, but they eventually rebranded and reestablished as a popular tourist hangout. Maybe Britt was murdered by someone that was never on the radar. Random crime happens everywhere. Britt could have been walking home from the club, she was drunk, alone, someone drove by and saw the opportunity and grabbed her. If it was murder, then someone knows what happened to Britt, and it's just a matter of time before her family gets some answers. Of course, there could have been an accident, but the evidence just doesn't support it. Her body was too decomposed for her to simply have fallen from a cliff or went swimming and drowned. Her body would have surfaced in two to three days if that was the case. So I fully support the theory that she was weighted down, again, pointing to murder. Also, she was found naked. Her friends and family said she wasn't the type to go skinny dipping. Her clothing wasn't found on the beach, and neither was her camera or bag. I think they were tossed in the water with her, or maybe someone out there still has them. Britt's family will never have her back, but I hope someday they are able to get answers and justice. I also hope this has prompted other backpackers and travelers to be more careful when they go out. Never leave someone behind. I know the backpackers were young and figured she'd be okay because she was traveling solo, but drinking and not having a plan to get home safe can be a death sentence for a number of reasons. How can you stay safe while traveling in Croatia? Dubrovnik is an extremely safe city, and Croatia was ranked 14th safest country in the world by the Global Peace Index. They welcome tourists and are very tolerant and open-minded. It's generally safe to walk the streets day or night, and there's sufficient police presence in case there are any problems. Also, both uniformed and police in civilian clothing patrol Dubrovnik, so keep that in mind. The emergency number in Croatia is 112, the legal drinking age is 18, credit cards are widely accepted, tap water is safe to drink, and smoking is prohibited in enclosed public spaces. The official language is Croatian, but English is widely spoken, although it's appreciated to learn basic Croatian phrases. A handshake is a common greeting, and it's customary to say dobar dan, which means good day, or bok, which is higher by in social situations. If you're wondering what to wear in Croatia, check the weather and always lean on the more modest side. If you're visiting churches or religious sites, cover your shoulders and knees out of respect and don't take selfies inside the churches. They're sacred monuments and a place of silent reflection and prayer rather than a tourist hotspot. There are designated clothing optional beaches in Croatia. If you plan to visit one, research and respect the regulations. 
Also, most of the beaches are pretty rocky and contain a lot of sea urchins. So while going in your birthday suit might be fun, bring aqua shoes for safety. While Croatia is known for taking things easy, it's mostly a conservative country, so stay away from discussing politics and don't bring up controversial things like Yugoslavia. If you're invited to someone's home, take your shoes off before entering, and it's polite to bring a small gift like flowers or chocolates. Sexual harassment cases are typically low in the country, although keep in mind that the region has a Mediterranean mentality, which includes a lot of touching during conversation and a general show of affection or friendship also by touching. Remember to look up cultural differences when you travel. I found a few interesting ones in my research that would probably fall along the lines of old wives' tales. For example, Croatians always tuck in their undershirts and literally everyone wears an undershirt to avoid showing their kidneys because they believe it could somehow lead to kidney failure. They always wear slippers, socks are not enough, and never go barefoot. Everyone blow dries their hair, even men with short hair. They never let their hair dry naturally except maybe during the hottest days of the year. Never go outside right after you've washed your hair, even if it's blow dried, because you could catch a cough. All Croatians swear, even the sweet old ladies. And my favorite? To find the best olive oil, look for olive oil that comes in an old Coke bottle or Fanta bottle. That's when you know it's good. Like anywhere when you're traveling, be sure to read the reviews before you choose accommodations and stay somewhere well-known and established. In restaurants and spas, it's normal to leave a 10% tip. In bars or cafes, you can just round up the bill. Tour guides appreciate a small tip, and you can also round up to the next euro for taxi drivers. And speaking of euros, that is the current currency in Croatia. There are a few things you want to look out for. Pickpocketing is common, like most tourist places. Always watch for overly friendly strangers and unsolicited assistance. Always verify prices and details before making any purchases or agreements. Some clubs have been known to overcharge tourists and then threaten violence if you don't want to pay. There has been an increase in bomb threats against public areas like shopping malls, government offices, and schools. To be safe, avoid public protests and be careful if you attend large events like soccer matches. There's gorgeous hiking throughout Croatia, but never hike alone. Tell someone your plans and route. Don't wander off the path. Check the weather forecast. Bring the right gear for your hike and get back before dark. There aren't a lot of animals you'll run into in Croatia that will harm you. The poisonous horned viper is probably at the top of the list, but there are also wolves, jackals, wild boar, and mouflons, which I looked up, and they're a type of sheep with the big horns. But it is extremely unlikely you come across any of those animals. What you do want to keep an eye out for are natural disasters. Earthquakes, floods, wildfires, landslides, storms, heat waves, and the possible tsunami. There's also the possibility of coming across landmines in some areas near Bosnia and Montenegro, but they're all marked with signs. Let's talk about going out at night while you're traveling. First of all, there's safety in numbers. If you go out with a group, stay connected throughout the night, and if you go together, leave together. Agree on a check-in point ahead of time and a time and place to meet up later if anything goes wrong. Keep your emergency contacts written on a piece of paper in your bag or pocket in case you lose your phone. Write down the address of where you're staying or keep their business card on you. If you get separated from your group, avoid walking anywhere alone. If you must go somewhere, stick to well-lit routes and just try to join in with another group walking in the same direction if you can. 
If you're taking a ride, make sure you get into a registered legitimate taxi and avoid rideshare if you're alone. Dress modestly and stick with local standards. You don't need extra attention when you're already a tourist. If you're traveling alone, try to make friends with another group of tourists going to the same place. If you can't, make sure someone in the city knows where you're going and when to expect you back. Most hostels and hotels have a receptionist you can talk to. Also, make sure a trusted friend knows where you're going for the night and when to expect to hear from you again, even if they're not in the same country. If you go out, sitting at the bar is a great choice when you're alone. It's more social, so you'll have the opportunity to meet people. Plus, you'll be physically sitting higher than most people in the room, so it'll give you a good view for safety. If you don't want to sit at the bar, choose a bench seat and sit on the edge of the short side so you can move out easily. Take note of where the exits are in case you need to get out fast. If you must drink, watch your drinks. Don't leave a drink unattended. Don't take a drink from someone that's not in your group. Order alcohol that you're familiar with and watch when your drink is being made so you know what's in it. And really, just limit your alcohol. It's not worth a serious problem or even a hangover while you're traveling. Most of all, remember, whenever you're traveling, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going, what you'll be doing, and when to expect you back. And my number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it isn't. Britt Lapthorne was a 21-year-old Australian in Dubrovnik, Croatia on holiday. She was 5 feet tall, about 100 pounds with light olive complexion, hazel eyes, and platinum blonde straight hair cut into a short bob. She had a diamond stud nose ring. Her ears and navel were also pierced. She was last seen wearing a gray long sleeve t-shirt and black leggings. She had a Canon PowerShot G9 with her when she disappeared that has never been found. The serial number is 657-1300350. Finding the camera could be a huge clue in this mystery. Her last known whereabouts were at Club Fuego on September 18, 2008 at 3.30 a.m. If you have any information about Britt Lapthorne, the night she went missing, or her missing camera, please contact the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod and subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates and even learn about my personal travels. That's patreon.com slash the last trip podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.